this morning what I'd like us to do is to change tack a little bit in uh, some of our uh, thinking and, and the series of sermons that we're going to do. We had been looking at Matthew's Gospel for a while. And this morning I want to start a new series which um, I'm calling quite simply Being Human. Um, very simple little play on the concept of human beings. And I want to just give you some of the reasons why I want to develop this kind of theme. Um, and I want to just say a couple of things this morning by way of introduction. Um, I also want to continue to encourage you to be telling me, under this general heading, what are the kinds of things that you think we should be thinking about. Part of the reason for the series is, first of all, to help develop a way of thinking that reflects a view that um, things around us and life in general can be thought of as being sacred. We're not very good at this, and in fact, the minute I utter those words, I'm sure quite a lot of us get very nervous. Um, What's he talking about? Well, I'm not suggesting that everything is good and that everything is God, but that everything is made by God and was originally by God declared to be good. And I think sometimes, as Christians, we live very disjointed lives in the world. And we're not really quite sure how to tie together what it means to be human and to be a Christian. We're not really quite sure whether in being a Christian your primary concern is to get out of here and get to heaven and that the things that really matter are all the things to do with heaven or the things that matter are also the things to do with earth and human existence. If you'd been at our fellowship group on Wednesday night, which was the last fellowship group to be held in Clanry, very sad, If you'd been in our fellowship group on Wednesday night, you would have been treated to a little introduction to Platonism. We are blessed to have, as one of our key members, Yule Webb, is Yule here this morning? There's Yule. Um, Who, week by week in our fellowship group, um, brings us another little insight to the history of the Christian church. And we're stuck in the early years at the minute, but we're enjoying it. And Yule's bringing us each week a sort of five or ten minute slot on aspects of the experience of the early church post the Bible times. And at the minute we're looking at the religions uh, and philosophies that existed at the time when Paul would have been engaging in his missionary journeys. And Yule was giving us a, a little bit of an introduction to the idea of Platonism. Which, in a nutshell, and I hope I do justice uh, to what you all was able to share with us on Wednesday night. Reality, as far as some of the Greek philosophers, particularly influenced by Plato, were concerned, reality is really in two parts. There's this, if you think about it in circles, I need things in boxes. I'm not really very good with things that are outside of lines. But if you think about it in a box or a circle, in one box, in one circle, on one side, you have material things. And material things are imperfect. And they're always changing. But uh, in terms of existence and life and the universe and all of that, there's another box or another circle on the other side, and that's spiritual. And the spiritual box has things like ideas in it, not just ideas you have in your head, but ideas about what the essence of life is, the things that really matter, referred to as ideal forms or perfection, or the things that are truly permanent, not the things that are decaying and passing away in this material circle. And then you come along with human beings. And they're a third kind of box or circle. And you overlay them over this one and this one so that they're overlapping. Because human beings are thought of, particularly by Platonists, as being both material and spiritual. 
We get the best of both worlds, or the worst of both, depending on how you look at it. The material end of us is the body, the senses, reason. They're all part of the material thing. And material things are imperfect, and they're changing. They're not the most important things. But we're also spiritual, according to Platonists, and that's the superior bit. We have spirit, and this kind of division, this kind of dichotomy as to thinking about the world is, has been a hugely influential uh, source of thinking about life in general, and particularly on Christians. It's influenced how people have read the Bible. For example, in the very early days of the church, when people started to read the Old Testament and the New Testament, they would very often, under this kind of influence, be looking for the deep spiritual meanings in everything. That just to read things literally about Jesus having an encounter with a woman at the well uh, was to miss the point because there are deeper meanings. For example, what is it about the five men that she had as husbands? What is that about? Is it about the Pentateuch? The five books of the law which the Samaritans and the Jews held in common? Is it about the five senses of the human being that need to be renewed by Jesus and an encounter with him? And this was a way of reading the Bible. All kinds of illustrations of this. And it's influenced the way not just people used to read the Bible many years ago, but the way you and I think about life. And part of the reason why it's so easy for us to have a very strong secular sacred divide in our thinking. There are things that are of value. There are things that as Christians we should be concerned about. And there's all the rest. And most of the things to do with being human fit into all the rest. People read parts of the Bible. You might like to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 by way of illustration of this. (coughs) You'll find it on page 1160. And the Apostle Paul is talking about um, our heavenly dwelling. And he says, Now we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Now, people have read that kind of passage and said, you see, this is the way it is. We really don't want to be here too long. I remember as a child, a record collection my mother had. Um, She's not here. Um, It wasn't a great record collection, I have to say. Um, But it had sort of Roy Rogers or Jim Rogers, what do you call them, boy? The cowboy singing, cowboy, anyway, it doesn't matter. They had him and, and various others. And one of the songs that I remember playing time and time again as a child was that one, you know, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Do you know that one? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world. 
anymore. I can't sing it the way you can say it, but anyway. But it would have captured, it would have encapsulated a way of thinking and a way of thinking about what it was to be human, you know. Let's get out of here as quickly as we can. And you would read passages like what Paul has got to say here in 2 Corinthians, and it would just seem to be saying exactly the same thing. But of course, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you would discover that we have this treasure in jars of clay, the treasure of the outpouring of the Spirit of God and the glory of God seen in us in jars of clay that we are. Yes, there is a sense in which we now only see things dimly. There is a sense in which there is more and better yet to come. But if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and base your thinking on it without reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and many other passages of the Apostle Paul's writing, you would begin to lose a perspective because for Paul, coming from a Hebrew way of thinking, life wasn't simply divided into these good and bad categories, the physical being bad and passing, and the spiritual being the all-important thing. It certainly wasn't consistent with how people in Old Testament times thought, and I don't think is consistent with the way the Apostle Paul is actually speaking. But that has influenced us. And it has influenced us hugely so that we're very often more content to live with a secular, sacred divide. The world of the spiritual and material, we don't worry too much about the material. The only thing that counts is the spiritual. And you see it sometimes manifest in the lives of Christians and in the emphasis in Christian churches. You know, well, you're not really a Christian unless you've got the signs that you've gone deeper. You know, that you've got into the really deep things. And there are manifestations of this going on in your life that prove that you're a deeply, truly spiritual person. To be a truly, deeply spiritual person as a Christian is to be truly human. It is, in all our weakness and in all our failure, to become more as God intended us to be, while anticipating the glory that is yet to come. So part of the reason why we're going to do this series about being human is simply to try and think about being human as Christians. I want to do it as well for a second reason. Uh, which is to show in a different kind of way. I mean, we do this regularly as we look at the Bible. We try to apply passages of the Bible to our lives. And I just want to do it the other way around for a little while. And I want to talk about issues and show how the Bible has something to say on issues about our lives and about being human. And I want to do it because I want to re-emphasize that what we do and what we talk about here on a Sunday isn't time out from the real world. Instead, it's orientation for the real world it's not time out it's not that this is the thing that really matters is escapism I don't know whether you're uh, into orientation but John down there is into orientation he runs mountains he does silly things and he's far too old for it but he hasn't the wit to stop and he takes a map and a light on his head and he and a couple of other people will run for two or three days across mountains and do all kinds of things with their maps and they will have to guide themselves find their way from A to B. And what we do together as Christians is a bit like that. What we do when we come together to worship is not to escape from the world. It is to get our bearings again. It is to be reorientated as to what it means to be human beings, what it means to be the people God has called us to be in the world that God has placed us. Coming here and listening to the Bible Coming here and singing hymns and songs of praise that exalt the Lord Jesus and speak about the greatness and the faithfulness of God is about plotting the coordinates. It's about marking the journey. It's about helping us to see where we're going. And I think that's tremendously important. It's not about escapism. 
Uh, Eugene Peterson, who you may be familiar with through the book The Message, has written a book in, uh, recently called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. Don't be put off by the size of it. I think it's a, I've found many of Peterson's books hard to get into. Personally, I like boxes and things and, and straight lines. He thinks all over the place. But this one, I think, is an absolute cracker. And in this, Peterson has the story about um, a woman in the church that he grew up in, an elderly lady who would come to church and she would pray the same prayer every Sunday in church. And she would pray this prayer of certainty and confidence that she wasn't going to die, that the Lord would return before she dies. The Lord had showed her this. And Peterson talks about how when he was 10 years old and, he, and she died, he got a little bit confused about a few things. And uh, Peterson makes the point that as he reflected on it, particularly later in life, his comment is this, Sunday is not a rehearsal of escape an anticipation of the final escape. It is an exposition of the weak. W-E-E-K, not W-E-A-K. So coming here, and what we do when we sing songs of praise, when we read the Bible, when we consider it together, when we pray together, is not about escapism. It's not about longing to be out of here. It's about having our weekly lives opened up for us. Uh, an exposition of what God would have us do in the days that lie ahead and how we make sense of what is past. And thirdly, and this is only the introduction, but anyway, thirdly, the reason why I want us to look at this is so that we can look at some specific aspects of our human experience because the Bible, you see, is absolutely full of these things. It deals with all the things like suffering, like sexuality, like our relationships, like work, like joy, like death, creativity. It's all in here. It's all in the Bible. God has something to say about all of this. And I want us to take time to look at it more thematically for some of the weeks that lie ahead. So if you have thoughts, you have ideas, you have things we ought to be thinking about, I have a big list, um, but I'm open to hearing what you have to say. The other thing I'd like to do throughout this series is to at least make a commitment that Whatever I talk about up here, if you don't agree and if there are things I haven't thought about and there are other things that need to be thought about in the subject, I'm happy to come back and do it again. I'm happy to come back and say, forget that sermon that was preached a few weeks ago. That was rubbish. This is what it's supposed to be. I want it to be a bit more interactive so that you think about these things. And in thinking about them, I trust that both of us, all of us, will learn from God's word. Well, this morning, just by way of introduction if that introduces the reason for it, by way of introduction to our theme, I want to say a couple of things about being human. I want to talk about being made from and being made in. Do you remember the visit Merv Jones paid here? Some of you won't because you weren't here at the time. Merv Jones is a graphic designer, an artist, and he was here a couple of years ago. Many people remember Merv being here. Yes, a few of you do. Because when you came in, there were stones and sticks in the pews and things like that. And one of the things Merv was doing as he was talking to us was uh, getting us to look around the room and look at the curtains and the walls and the microphones and the wires and the chairs that you were sitting on. And the point that Merv was making was that absolutely everything in this room comes from the earth. It doesn't matter whether it's plastic or stone. It's dug out of the earth. And everything around us and everything that we have created making this building and making this this possible in here <clears throat> is stuff that we have taken which God has given us and we have reworked it 
So we dug the earth and we made concrete and we built walls. We mined the earth for its oil and we made plastics. And we mined it for its metals and we made copper. And so my voice works its way right down to the sound desk and back out through these speakers to you. And everything that you see around you is something that has been re reconfigured by us as human beings out of the raw materials which God originally created and gave to us. Look at yourself. Look at your hand. Touch it. Feel free. I'm not asking you to touch the person beside you. That would be far too touchy-feely. You know, where did you come from? What are you? What does it mean to be human in those very ordinary terms? The truth is you're from the same dirt as the walls. The same basic material. I think it's very interesting that at this particular point, atheistic evolutionists and Christians cross over at a point. Because they say, well, they don't believe in God or anything like that. And they say, we all came from the same thing. Well, the Bible actually says exactly the same thing too. God took the dust of the earth and he formed a human being. Let's read that together. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 2, way back at the very beginning of the Bible, page 4. <coughs> in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Just bringing it to a close all that has preceded up to this point. And then it says, When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. In one very real sense, as you look at yourself, as you look at your body, and you look at the walls and the wood and all the stuff that's around you, you come from the same stuff. Because God took the dust, I think dust is a very nice, polite way of describing it. God took the, the dirt of the ground and he formed man. And then he animated us in a very different kind of way, a unique way, which we'll think about a little later. It's one of the reasons why I prefer, don't misunderstand me what I'm saying here, I prefer graves and gravesides to cremations. It's not that I particularly like them, but I prefer them. I prefer them because there's an opportunity as you stand beside a grave and you conduct a funeral, or you stand there, you hear these words, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. There's something very profound about that. Something very profound about what is going on, where we have come from, and where we belong. The words address the reality of our connectedness with all that God has made. God used the dirt to form man. In Niger, when I was there for a little while with um, Johnny and Hannah, I can't find them. Oh, there they are. Yep, well, there's Johnny anyway and Nigel. Um, they were explaining that my name, uh, which is David, 
in Hausa, and we've got a Hausa expert here this morning, keep us right, and that's not Nigel, that's Johnny probably. Uh, my name is Dowda, is that right, Johnny? Is that the right way to say it? There's two ways to say it, though. You can say Dowda, or you can do that sort of thing where you think you're going to choke if you're from the West and don't know how to do these sorts of things, and you can hold back part of the sound, and it's more like a Dowda, or something like that, is that right? Okay. One means David, and one means dirt. And when introducing myself to people, it was really very important that if I was going to learn my name in Hausa, that I got it the right way around. On the one hand, I could be saying, hi, I'm David, or I could be saying, hi, I'm dirt. But there's something about that that actually isn't a problem. Um, There's something about that that is actually true. When God created the world, when God created the earth, and then created man, he created us out of the dust of the ground and then breathed into us the breath of life. But so what, I hear you say. Well, let me so what a couple of things. One of the so what's about this, I think, is that for us as Christians, it does speak about uh, our humanity as not being a mistake. It's not a shameful thing to be human. It's not a shameful thing to be frail and to be weak. It's not a shameful thing to be like the dirt of the earth. God made us from that and made us for a purpose and made us to glorify him. What we do as humans is not shameful. Our behavior, our attitude might be. It might be rebellious against God. But being human, being physical, being ordinary is not a shameful thing. It's the way God made us, and it's important that we remember that. I think it's important for a second reason. It's important because we need to learn to have respect for everything that is around us. As Christians, sometimes we are not in the vanguard, but in the rear trunk of the movements that are concerned about the earth and about people. It's taken most of my lifetime for issues of justice to become Uh, important on the radar of evangelicals in this country. It's taken us a very long time as Christians to really get our heads around and begin to think about things like what's happening to the earth and what we're doing with it. What stewardship means. Growing up, stewardship was very much about how you used your money, but stewardship is not just about money. It's about how we use the resources that God has given us, how we exploit the earth, how we develop all that God has given to us. And I think it's important for us to remember that If we consider ourselves, the physical aspect of what it means to be human, as of no importance, then it's hardly surprising that most physical things we don't really care about, including the planet. It's all going to burn anyway. Well, yes it is, but it's going to give way to a renewed heaven and earth. And until it does, we share so much in common, and we have a responsibility to do what God put us here to do in the first place, which is to tend that which he created and to do so as a sense of privilege and honour and responsibility. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing in Romans chapter 8, says something along these lines. Let me read it to you from verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's the general theme of what he's discussing at this point. But then he says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of 
one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The Apostle Paul carries into the whole concept of redemption, not just us as people and certainly not just us as disembodied spiritual things, but he speaks also about creation. Let me explain the reason for the nice flower. I want to read to you a little bit from Peterson's book here. He talks about how his families used to go off to the national parks and one of them was Yellowstone Park that they used to go to, relishing the blessings of the uh, the place we had pulled to the side of the road to view a meadow of wild flowers. About 20 yards away, a five or six year old girl was picking a bouquet of fringed. Um, I've forgotten how to pronounce this word. Gentians. Is that how you pronounce it? Sorry? Gentians. Gentia. Yeah, okay, right, sorry. The gentian is a stunning blue alpine flower. One of my favourites. The little girl had an innocent fistful of these beauties, probably picked for her mother. When I noticed her, I was suddenly indignant at this violation of the sacred ground. I yelled at her, don't pick the flowers. The poor little girl, terrorised by my bark, dropped the flowers and looked at me with total bewilderment and dismay, her face clouding over and then spilling out in tears. Immediately my children were all over me. Dad, what you did is a lot worse than what she did. How could you do that to her? The God who made the flowers also made her. You ruined her day. You probably scarred her for life. And on and on for the rest of the day, ruining my day. And of course they were right. How could I be so selective in my sense of kinship with creation? How did it happen that I felt so sensitive to the fringe Genetian that I had formed out of that had been formed out of the same dust as me, and so insensitive to the little girl also formed out of that same dust, or even something more like my own rib? Being human and remembering how God made us and where He made us from is important for lots of these kinds of reasons. When you come in this morning, you probably found a coin on your seat. Um, I was just feeling terribly generous this morning. Some of you got a one pence, some of you got a two pence, some of you, the lucky ones, got a five pence. If anybody got a pound, that was a mistake and I would like it back again, please. The coins were left on your seat for a reason, not to see if everybody actually puts money in the offering bag, but just to make a simple point. In Matthew chapter 22, some people approach Jesus and they make an approach about paying taxes to Caesar. And they present the coins, coins which were hated by pious Jews because of their implied breach of the second commandment and because it was the image of a foreign ruler. You see, they were steeped in the word of God and the word of God said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. 
Images, even on coins, were a big no-no. And people took this really very seriously. And they took it seriously not just because to have an image stamped on something could lead to idolatry. It could speak of idolatry, which in the case of Caesar, ultimately it did. But because the scriptures teach that if you want to see anything that is the image of God, then human beings were made in the image of God. We were made in God's image, as it says in Genesis chapter 1, to reflect his character in glory. We were made in his image to care about his creation. We were made in his image to be in relationship with one another as God himself is in relationship as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We were made in his image to glorify him. And images, whether they be stamped on coins or in any other way, seem to be grossly inappropriate. For there was no way of truly capturing the glory of God other than God had chosen to declare it by making human beings in his image. The fact of the matter is, and the Bible makes it very clear, that that image is grossly marred. Like a coin amongst the collection that I was going through to find all these coins for this morning. And it was virtually impossible to tell which side was the head and which side was the tail. It was so badly cut up and mutilated. And that's true about us as human beings. However, it still has very important implications for us. Being made in the image of God. Being human. Being made in the image of God says something about the value we place on human life and human beings. Because value for us as Christians is not measured by capacity. Two debates in the last week. If you were asleep, you'll have missed them. If you were awake at all at any stage during the week, you'll have come across them. The debate in the House of Lords, Lord Jolly's assisted dying bill, where GPs and doctors generally would have been enabled, maybe more than that in the longer term, to assist the dying to die. And on the front page, I think, of the Times yesterday and other newspapers, more issues that were being talked about during the week about genetic screening and about what we do with embryos as we screen them for potential up to 80% genetic risk uh, or inherited risk of particular diseases. And in our culture, it seems that the predominant framework for discussing these things is the framework of rights, which brings for us as Christians a real clash of worldviews Because in a Christian perspective, people don't have value because they have rights. They have rights because they have value. And their value exists because they are made in the image of God. You see this, for example, even in James chapter 3. In verse 9, he's talking about how we use our tongues. He says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Oh yes, the image is marred. But we were still created in the image of God. You see, it's not just that people should, in James's terms, have the right to sue you if you slander them. People have the right not to be slandered because they are made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God says something about the value we place on human life and human beings. And that's one of the reasons why it's important. But there's another angle on this, and it has to do with who we think we are and understand ourselves as Christians. 
Paul, when he's speaking in 2 Corinthians 4 and in Colossians 1, speaks about Christ being the image or the likeness of God. He uses the same kind of terminology. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And truly, when you want to see what God is like, you look at Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. In Christ we see God, Jesus himself says in John 14 verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. But the Bible goes further, and it says that Christians, by participating in Christ, are in the process of seeing that image restored within them. Romans 8, 29, we are being conformed to the image of his Son. And in fellowship with Christ, we are transformed into his image. And Paul speaks of this as a a present happening. He speaks about it in 2 Corinthians. He speaks about it in Colossians 3 and verse 10. About putting on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Being human matters. Being human matters because that's why you're here. But how you think about yourself and how you think about the way God has made you is tremendously important. And that's why for the weeks ahead we're going to look at very ordinary things about being human. Bearing in mind what we were made from, but bearing in mind how we were made different in the image of God. And that will affect the way in which we think about ourselves and each of the subjects that we're going to look at. But being made as human beings in the image of God speaks of worth and value. It speaks about gifts and abilities reflecting the Creator. It speaks to our purpose Maybe lost because of our sinfulness, but needing direction and finding direction in Jesus Christ. And it speaks about our attitudes and our behavior as Christians. The way in which we think about the world around us, the way in which we think about other people, the way in which we think about ourselves. So it will be interesting to see where we end up with all of this.